Welcome to the Market Access Radar, a podcast brought to you by Sertara, the global leader in model-informed decision-making from molecule to market. In every podcast, we'll take a critical look at impactful news and trends in the biopharma industry. We will take you on board our journey from bench to bedside and hear from experts and guest speakers on the monumental transformation in healthcare, the move from paying for volume to awarding value. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week, where we decided to talk about one of the potentially most impactful changes to Medicare we have witnessed in many years. We are talking about the proposed CMS drug pricing model, which, as you probably have heard in the press at this point, is supposed to be based on an international pricing index. It's quite complex stuff, and we have a lot to unpack. And I'm here with Ulrich Newman, who heads up our U.S. Access team, to understand a little bit more about what we know and what we don't know about the initiative. Ulrich, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike. So, Ulrich, let's walk through this. I know you have spoken with clients about this a fair amount over the past couple weeks. I wonder, what is the first question they ask about it? Yeah, good question, Mike. I guess the very initial question I get is, so if this is introducing reference pricing, how likely is it going to happen? Um, and the reason they ask that is because they've seen, you know, there's a lot of opposition to it already. So before we go into dissecting the elements of what it is exactly, usually my foundational answer to that is this is called an advanced notice of formal rulemaking. So what is that? It's very much an early indicator of what CMS is thinking. It's not a policy proposal. Uh, It's certainly not a formal announcement. Uh, Essentially, CMS is uh, planning to propose an exact rule in Q1 next year, uh, and there will be an opportunity to comment on that. But if you you know, go through the uh, so-called ANPRM, there's a lot of lack on precision on specifics. So does that mean you don't really have to worry about it? Absolutely not. Uh, we're talking about a change here that affects roughly 58 million Americans. Uh, and, and a lot of this would go beyond uh, Medicare into international drug pricing policy. Okay, so maybe you can explain in a nutshell what exactly it is that is being proposed here by the U.S. government at this point. Right. So earlier this year, the president's so-called blueprint directed CMS to develop solutions under pilot or so-called demonstration models to reduce drug pricing. That's a key theme for HHS. Uh, And we've seen a number of rules uh, on that front already. So this suggested model would reduce what Medicare Part B pays for infused or injected products. Part B, as opposed to Part D, which is the outpatient prescription benefit. So Part B encompasses roughly 10% of U.S. drug sales. And just to you know, give you some, some sense of the volume here, we're, we're talking about roughly 45 uh, to 50 billion uh, U.S. dollars just for this part of Medicare. Quite a bit. What drugs specifically? Well, initially what they're looking at is single source drugs and biologics, uh, and since it's Part B, those that would be administered through uh, physicians. And again, uh, the reason for that is because uh, they make up about 84% of the spending in in Medicare. Um, So what you have there is AMD products, uh, cancer drugs, rheumatoid arthritis. In a nutshell, what the model proposes is to reduce the payment rate for these drugs to align, simply align more closely with what's paid ex-US. And uh, they do that through a factor that's called the IPI, the International Pricing Index. So today in Part B, manufacturers 
uh, sell to wholesalers. That's a system called buy and build. The practices buy the products, buy and build. And uh, what Medicare pays the providers is, is currently called ASP plus six. That's the average sales price that's paid in the, in the commercial markets plus a 6% add-on. Now, actually, it's not a 6% uh, currently anymore. Physicians, due to a sequestration effort, see about 4.3% of that. There's other reimbursement models in, in Medicare, but that's the main model, buy and bill. And in the future, providers would not buy the drugs anymore for the vast number of these Part B drugs. In the future, vendors would purchase these drugs and then claim Medicare at a new algorithmic rate that is driven by the uh, International Pricing Index. Uh, and providers would continue to receive an add-on payment, but that's not respective to the specific drug. Um, it's more so because they would then take part in this, this pilot program and, and obviously still incur some cost. Fantastic. Let's talk a little bit more about these new vendors. Yeah, so, I mean, it's an interesting uh, new uh, entity. It would, again, as I said, remove physicians from the buy and bill and essentially have these entities negotiate prices with manufacturers. Uh, they would arrange the distribution. They would submit the claim to Medicare, as I said. They'd also be in charge of putting uh, safeguards in place. So, you know, this could be GPOs. Uh, there's a lot of other vendors that the proposal mentions, like specialty pharmacies, wholesalers. Hospitals, physicians are included there. RD plans, someone recently asked me, could manufacturers uh, actually also be vendors under this, you know, or own vendors. And as far as we understand the plan now, that's a possibility. That, you know, has been the case in the past. Uh, there was a time when industry owned PBMs. But from an economic point of view, one of the questions that you're faced with is there is some risk of uncertainty right now who would actually enter this market as a vendor. When you think of providers as, as one of those choices, you'd have to have someone with a national base because this obviously is a national role of, of this program and someone that'd be able to service at that level. CMS would like to see at least three different vendors that do that. The reason is, is there's supposed to be competition. And so to me, this looks a little like PBMs when it comes to, to price uh, negotiators. How would this be rolled out? Yeah, so as per currently proposed, CMS would basically randomly assign who takes part in uh, different geographic areas. Goal is that they reflect about 50% of Medicare spending. Now, how do they define that? Probably they'll be around statistical areas. So uh, they want to be careful of a few things. For instance, switching between those who are in the model geography and those in a non-participating geography, uh, because obviously there could be for those that are in the model, a different uh, patient co-sharing rate, et cetera. So in order to keep this a bit as a control arm, and you would want to make sure that there's no switching essentially, um, or limit that effect at least. So the core is what are the new payment rates? Yeah, so uh, again, to, to drill down on that, right? CMS would calculate that average international price, right? Well, there today is something called HCPCS, uh, it's spelled H-C-P-C-S. Um, CMS would aim to collect average uh, XUS prices multiply, multiplied by the uh, IPI adjusted for no more than a 30% reduction. So they don't want to go further than 30%, but they do probably like to be at 30%. 
Now that's a 30% decrease for payment rates that would be phased over five years. The frequency of that reporting of those payments rate hasn't been clarified. So it'll be an individual blend for those five years of the program. And to be honest, it's pretty complicated stuff. Again, vendors would collect beneficiary cost sharing. The remaining add-on that I set for providers would likely also be phased out after the program. But for the model's sake, the intention here is to, to essentially lessen the revenue loss and uh, admin costs that these providers in the model would have. The overall incentive behind the whole thing, uh, and I think that gets to the heart of is to reduce the prescribing patterns of ASP drugs, which are believed to be an unnecessarily high cost factor for Medicare. So how would they determine the international prices? And is that information that's accessible currently? Well, so CMS referenced international data, set, data sets, um, but they would also like to plan uh, to get that data from uh, drug makers. So, you know, to ask them on a quarterly basis, like we have now quarterly, you know, price reporting, like ACP data on a unit level, similar to HICPICS data. Uh, now, in the meantime, they do reference existing data sets, uh, such as, you know, there's IQVIAs, MIDAS, there's the UK drug tariff. So there are data sources around for that. Okay, so what will the specific countries be? Mainly Europe, Japan, Canada, 14 nations, CMS uh, deemed comparable, but it does include countries like Austria or Greece. Now, our international clients are fairly familiar with that because essentially those included in the German price basket reference method is what CMS has actually been referring to here. What happens when you launch in the US? Yeah, that's a, that's a fair question because you might not have any international reference price data. So in that case, CMS has, has very proactively said that it aims even for newly approved and, and, and first marketed Part B uh, drugs in the IPI model to calculate uh, that payment uh, algorithmic rate in the absence of international pricing information. Again, how is that going to exactly look like? really does depend on how they model that out. But there's a clear intention uh, to be able to put drugs on the market with uh, an IPI rate, if you will, with an IPI factor in the absence of international pricing. Hi there, and thanks for listening to this podcast. If you would like to hear more about some of the trends discussed today, please send our experts a quick note. You'll find their email address in the show notes wherever you have downloaded the program. Our mission here at Sertara Evidence and Access is to bridge complex data science and modeling to real-world impact and payer strategy. 96% of all approved FDA products have used Sertara software and services in 2018. But it may be what happens in the real world that will shape the ultimate reason why our teams around the world are so invested in their work. That is, to get patients the appropriate and affordable access to the innovation and cures we've spent years developing. So thanks again for joining us in this effort and spending part of your day with us. Now let's get back to part two of today's program. Now, clearly manufacturers aren't happy, but couldn't this be an effective tool against foreign price controls if there was a global adjustment? 
HHS felt compelled to actually, after they put out that rule, call out the opposition and say, well, that's exactly what we're doing, right? So you drug companies, if you don't agree with the prices that are demanded by other foreign governments, then you just don't have to do business there. That is exactly actually the terminology they used, don't do business there. Now, if you do want to sell there, you just have to negotiate a price that's more in line with Americans pay, and therefore, you know, you won't be affected. And if you continue to give these cheaper prices to countries overseas, you know, you just have to take a cut then in drug reimbursement for Medicare. So I guess the argument here is, you know, one of choice. There is rational behavior that is being ascribed saying you'll lose only if you don't just distribute more evenly in terms of your pricing. This is purely sort of a voluntary arrangement to incentivize you to rebalance market power between the U.S. and other countries. And, you know, I, I looked in the rule and sort of also how it was communicated and in that same communication. Um, it's just worth quoting HHS here for uh, maybe the determination they, they applied to this. And the quote here is, the socialist systems to whom drug companies are giving better deals simply do not have the monopoly. That's exactly what HHS said in explaining the rule. Now, truth is, of course, if you model price regulation after set socialist countries doesn't really make you less socialist than these countries. So beyond the quip here, you know, the terminology, of course, if you're a developer, you simply don't want to be having U.S. prices uh, be driven by Japanese uh, or Greece pricing policy. In fact, whatever the shoulda coding is that, you know, they might apply here, this would A, put a much more rigid system in place than what we currently have. And it's worth remembering what we currently have is a market-based system, right? ASP stands for the average sales price. That is the price after discounts and also the concessions that the manufacturers make. And that's driven by the commercial market. And B, it does impact returns on investment. There's no question that it will impact margins, considering that, you know, take a wet AMD, right? Age-related macular degeneration. Typical Medicare population fits into part B because it is administrated by the physician. Now, if you take a product there, a leading product, 70% of global sales come out of Medicare Part B, right? So just apply what was stated in some of these proposals at an average, uh, you know, cut by 38%, right? That is the IPI of 30%, and then what that vendor negotiates for that extra spread. So 38%, if you calculate, you essentially would knock down what is, in this case, a blockbuster done by a third of global sales volume. So, you know, as Bernie said, that's huge. It is huge. Uh, okay, but let's be fair. What is the evidence that this will have a meaningful impact on innovation? Yeah, I think that is a fair question, right? And it's uh, every time you get to direct pricing, that's the, that's the claim, right? Uh, frankly, I just don't think from a policy perspective, there's anyone in Europe who will stand up and will happily volunteer uh, to just chip in for a third of uh, Blockbuster sales revenue loss, considering that those are HTA environments and uh, the volume we're talking about here is what matters. It's not just the percentage, the volume is what matters. Um, and so the volume in a European market, uh, you know, I just put out that number, would be a significant price increase to recoup from those already price conscious markets. 
you know, there is a great paper on the economics of how is this going to impact uh, innovation put out by USC uh, Schaeffer. Um, I think maybe we could put that in the show notes here. I want to get to the point of what we do know. Uh, there is clearly an understanding of that there are access restrictions in Europe, and, and that's part of the process. So it's not a, oh, maybe they're going to be, there definitely are access restrictions, right? In some countries, you might have to wait for years. You know, just on average, this is not an industry talking point. That's just sort of raw on the facts. Uh, Americans get their access to cancer medicines roughly about two years earlier. If you look at 97% uh, of oncology products in the UK have some kind of access restriction, right? The drugs that CMS used in their own analysis, only 11 of those 27 that they're studied are actually available in all of those countries that they cited for the reference mechanism. Now, that's not a statement on whether or not this will impact patient outcomes, right? Whether high-priced therapies uh, do or do not add benefit to the system, that's a whole other set of questions. And in fact, that, those are some of the questions we're actually pretty well equipped in answering. Um, so in our global practice, that's the uh, uh, work du jour. But as you know, in the US, we really haven't had that discussion around qualities, et cetera. But as we see with ICER as the institution, uh, that's really moving ahead at an unforeseen speed in the US. The environment that would be created by you know, imposing such a pricing system would certainly be very conducive for standard value assessments as we've seen in Europe. As you say that, I was just thinking, what is the rationale when it comes to patient health outcomes in this? Yeah, that's actually a good question. You know, of course, on a, on a sort of conceptual and, and, and principle level, affordability impacts outcomes. Uh, there's various studies that show that. The limited reference, though, here to some of the statutory stipulations for the CMMI-mandated demonstration models is something that's noticeable. You have very little reference to that. It is essentially a tool for price setting. Now, let's take a step back to the domestic front again. What ripple effects would you expect then? Well, so first of all, you know, once the mechanism exists, it will be used. Yeah, that's, that's clear. So cost of goods is a problem for the U.S. healthcare system overall, right? And if the rationale holds true for drugs, then shouldn't hospital systems and other payments uh, also be subjected to the same logic? Because if you're looking at any comparison, those are more expensive here and they're cheaper provided in other countries. So the overwhelming healthcare cost and, and the most rising element are uh, costs that don't occur out of the, the pharmaceutical spend, right? Pharmaceutical spend grows by about 1% a year, despite sort of the public, uh, you know, focus on that. And accounts for 11 to 15, depending on what you put in there, no more than 20% of the overall healthcare spend. So are we moving to apply this method to other parts of our unwieldy healthcare costs? That I think is a question that some of some of the providers are worried about, right, or, or concerned with. Um, and you know, it could be a question that should be answered in the affirmative. It is just something that could be a ripple effect. And so the other thing is, you know, this is a Part B model, but the administration is also tackling Part D, which is the you know, patient prescription benefit. What uh, HHS is trying to do there is to introduce mechanisms that are used in the private market to uh, essentially uh, tackle protected drug classes. 
an example there, you know, you'd have discounts for Medicare at average, um, roughly about 6%. And you know, where you go to the private market, it's maybe four or five times that amount. Lastly, you also have another initiative that's related to this. And that's HHS Part B uh, step therapy. That's for Medicare Advantage plans in Part B. Again, those are mechanisms the private market uses to manage utilization. The point here is that they're connected because you, on the one hand, set prices here, you apply utilization management elsewhere. So it's definitely impactful. And lastly, I've, I've talked to providers and if you rely on buy and build, it, that's going to be a huge change. You basically see that all the cancer providers, all the community oncology clinics uh, say no to this. I guess I should also add that you have a bunch of other payment models and price calculations that are currently out there. How would those alternative payment models, uh, how would they be affected, right? That detail, uh, to be honest, is just very sketchy right now. You know, say what's the impact of reduced rates on quality measure reporting uh, under MIPS, right? So uh, those are questions that are not fully answered. So I think in a nutshell, I would just simply say that, yes, there's definitely pharmaceutical industry opposition to this, but you have a lot of concerns among other stakeholders as well. This touches a whole bunch of uh, U.S. market stakeholders, and it creates significant implications for all other uh, stakeholders' uh, bottom lines, if you will. That was great. So this isn't the first time that CMS proposed changes like this, is it? So no, a different model was actually proposed for a Part B here um, from Obama's HHS, but it was proposed as a mandatory nationwide model. It did include value-based pricing, actually included education-based pricing as well. And it was essentially met with massive uh, uproar and then withdrawn at the, uh, at the end of the, the final days of the outgoing administration in, in the end of 2016. This model, though, would have a control arm and theory would be a pilot uh, approach because it's just going to be rolled out to 50%. So, uh, yeah, I said the 2016 model was structurally different. It is three years later. We actually have a, a new administration that is really zeroing in on the drug policy concerns. Public policy debate has certainly, if anything, hardened on the issue. So what's the plan going forward from here? Yeah, so the time frame is very ambitious. Uh, the common period will actually close at the end of the year, so that's in two weeks. They want to release the proposed rule at the end of Q1, final rule by the end of Q3, with implementation in 2020. That would be for the first phase of the model. Now, the proposed rule will be uh, open for common again, um, so there will be an RFI. If the final rule would be an interim rule, there would even be another common period for the final rule. What are you looking for in the comments? Like, what areas matter? I'd say let's have the conversation next year, right? I highly doubt that all the pieces will be in place uh, in January. Um, and I'll highly doubt that all, all the things will be uh, you know, in place in 2020. That's a lot of questions that are still open. So a couple of areas that I would look at. Who should serve as vendors? What would be the guardrails? What would be their economic incentives? Should healthcare providers really be allowed to, to be these vendors. 
Another question is, should CMS uh, actually you know, regulate these agreements, right? Should it be a party so that the beneficiaries are protected? It's really, really important. There could be drug delays. Uh, there's a lot of things that could happen. That's a question to be answered. Now, uh, another one is, should the vendors pay an admin fee? Or you know, is there an opportunity to earn something like a delivery fee? Or, you know, or would they earn a cut of the spread? Again, what are the consequences for federal programs, uh, Medicare drug rebating, uh, inclusion of certain quality measures, again, to make this a little more of a, a quality outcomes measurement uh, project as well. How are we going to monitor the, the patient benefit, both in terms of cost sharing and uh, you know, actual health outcomes? I guess based on the current proposition, those areas would be where I'd see there is, is needed specificity, and, and essentially that's what we're looking at right now. Well, that's probably a good laundry list to leave it at for now. Certainly a lot to consider. If folks want to know more, they can reach out via email. I will put the email in the show notes. So close us off here with your bottom line takeaway from this proposal. Bottom line is this. This may be one of the most impactful changes you're going to see in U.S. drug pricing in decades. Um, and given its potential financial significance for pharmaceutical spending, but also the spillover effects we talked about, right? Uh, broader application of reference pricing, et cetera, what it means for the stakeholders' economics. Uh, this is certainly something you want to walk through. You want to prepare for at this point. You know, even if there's still a bumpy path when it comes to uh, turning this proposal into a rule of law, this is fully uh, within CMS's authority to do. So I just say uh, to my colleagues on the manufacturer side, don't underestimate the administration yet and don't overestimate Congress's ability or even the new Congress's willingness to moderate uh, on this proposal. This could move very fast. Fantastic. I was speaking with Ulrich Newman, Senior Director of U.S. Access, to break down the HHS Part B pricing model today. Thanks for coming in and sharing your perspective, Ulrich. Thanks, Mike. Good chat. You've listened to the Market Access Radar, your intelligence briefing brought to you by the team of Sertara Evidence and Access. Find us online at sertara.com slash evidence access.